0: One, two, three, four, four five, six. five, six. All right, there we are. We have done the magical incantation. We can now begin. Wait,
1: uh, what, yeah. What is it? I feel like we just performed a um, some kind of like weird um, witch ceremony or something very like ritual. Some weird ritual. Uh, yep. Yeah.
0: That's exactly <clears throat> what was happening. <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> Moving right along. Um, Do I know you said whatever. before we recorded that you didn't have a lot to talk about. No. And I want to warn listeners, this episode is probably going to be very guitar build heavy again, because all my spare time has been consumed by that, so... you're not interested in guitars. Well, at
1: this point, the only people listening to our podcast uh, love guitars and photography, so they'll have no problems with this. Yep.
0: We only got five listens on our last episode. We had 15 listens on our film scanning episode, which just is crazy to me that people are actually like reading the titles of these and selecting some of them.
1: I mean, you know, I read titles on the podcast. You know, if I'm exploring a new podcast, I, you know. Or one yeah, that I don't listen to often? The
0: fact that somebody found our podcast in the first place to even look at. It's
1: because film is making a comeback, dude. I suppose. Oh, we should, yeah, we should jump on that and start doing more. <laughs> jump, <laughs> jump on the uh, the trend? Yeah, what? Capitalize on it?
0: I uh, I identified a new trend the other day, and I can't remember what it is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oof, how good that does.
1: I've well, never been one to keep up with the trends,
0: mind. so when I catch on to them early on, I always am like, oh, hey, look, there's a new trend starting. This is going to burn out in about two weeks.
1: I look at trends in two ways. Uh, number one, I uh, usually laugh quietly to myself about how silly they are. Yep. Um, and then number two, I think about great ways people could capitalize on the trend oh. uh, and profit off of it.
0: Oh, NFTs. And of everybody. I don't do anything about it. Everybody. The, the new buzzword is NFTs, or they non-fungible.
1: So dumb.
0: We could get into a lengthy <laughs> discussion on that. Um, do you want there, to? <laughs> I don't know nearly enough about it to do that. No, yeah. I just started watching the Steve Mould video on them. They uh, do sound rather ridiculous, but what they do. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about them to criticize them, just yet. Anyway, the name so,
1: sounds. Like it, it has meaning to it.
0: Yes, um, although
1: it really, <laughs> it really just means one of a kind, I believe.
0: Yeah, non-duplicatable, basically,
1: unique, original.
0: Yeah, etc. Uh huh.
1: <laughs> like you
0: and me. Um, oh, no. All right, moving right along. Non- fungible. Oh, I was kind of thinking about how old film photos. Well, I mean. Any photo that's printed out and is the only copy of is non-fungible. Especially Ooh. if it preserves a moment in time. You know,
1: if if the negatives are Wait destroyed. Wait a second. Don't all photos preserve a moment in time?
0: Well, yes. But what if you have a photo of just a design that could be easily recreated? Or, mm. you know, something that could be like a digital image, for
1: example. That's the wonderful thing about negatives. -hmm. Is is how non fungible they are. Like it's the actual original silver halide crystals. Yeah, it's true. Getting it on silver versus if you just have the digital file, it just you know you just copy paste, copy paste, and now you've got like ten photos that are like the identical bits. (laughs) Yes,
0: but you could make duplicates off of that original. You
1: could, but could you make a Duplicate negative.
0: Well, I don't think you could make a duplicate of anything if you start digging down far enough.
1: <laughs> okay, within a, some reasonable bounds. Well, there's there's the uh, problem. What <laughs> those reasonable
0: bounds are? Um, because mm-hmm. anything if you dig deep enough is going to be unreplicatable. But yes, you know, to all normal perception, there's plenty of things that are not duplicatable.
1: Um. So, yeah, anyway. So your I guitar, guitar love is old. non-fungible. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, carry on, carry on. Enough track. Anyway,
0: I love how old photos just preserve a moment in time that we will never mm-hmm. go back to. And when the photo's mm-hmm. just taken of you, you don't think much of it, but then you look back on it, there's so many memories, and you think all these people are together at one specific physical location at a specific point in time.
1: Mm-hmm. It it's is amazing. It is amazing how much a photo even a photo like if you were associated with that photo your brain fills in so much that the photo doesn't even contain Mm -hmm. so it's also interesting that two different people could look at the same photo and have different you know their own different feelings
0: yeah sparks so many memories Mm
1: -hmm.
0: all right well um this has been uh an excellent pre- NFTs <laughs> with Christopher and Cody. <laughs> Tune in next week to uh uh hear our, our thoughts on investing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh what <laughs> well, have you been up to lately <laughs> <laughs> besides hearing about NFTs? Uh
1: what what have I been up to lately? I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't hear you over my own left.
0: <laughs> and you you have been working on taking tests have they been yes these are finals right
1: well so yes and no i took no i took two two exams just recently this past week that were um i don't know if i always thought midterms meant like the exams like that are in the middle of the semester that cover the first half of the semester but some Mm -hmm. people i think talk about them as just any exam that's not at the end of the school year which is yeah. kind of odd anyways yeah so i took a couple of those and then i have my fi my finals are actually starting i having one early because he's offering it early so why not so i'm having it tomorrow and i have two next week hmm. but yeah wrapping up school and then i'm gonna be um I'm, i have an internship which i'm really excited about that i start right after that
0: oh yeah let's talk about that
1: Yeah, let's wait to talk about it, though, for, like, a separate episode because I'm sure I'll have tons to talk about once I'm actually there and have experienced it, but Mm -hmm. it will be a fun episode.
0: Absolutely. All right. Uh, What exams have you taken?
1: Circuits and linear algebra, which is not, it's not, like, high school algebra, because some people hear algebra and just think what they did in high school. But it's like on a whole never, another level, and everything's a matrix, which fascinating. You know about, moving ma- right along, yeah. <laughs> okay, moving right <laughs> Just along. Kidding. No, uh, no, no. I have more important. I have more interesting things to talk about because okay, I have I been working. Save.
0: If there's something interesting you want to tell us about, that I'd certainly be all yours.
1: No, but thank okay. you for keeping me on track here. <laughs> As you know, I like to witter. Yes. Uh, I have been doing some interesting things for my design team which is uh, my drone design team. We're going to a drone competition in about a month, a little over a month. Um, I've been working on a path planning algorithm. Uh, It's called, for the nerds out there, it's called Informed RRT Star. Uh, Basically, it's just a sampling-based algorithm that uh, basically samples points in a defined space and generates a graph and then you can use different uh, other algorithms to calculate the shortest path within that graph, and it can be used to navigate um, around obstacles in a certain space. Um, and it's really cool. And I honestly kind of blew myself <laughs> away that I was able to uh, make it work because I at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the semester I thought it was going to be way too advanced for me, um, but I actually was able to learn and understand it. So. Um, informed RRT star, if you want to look it up or just RRT is kind of the base for the algorithm. Um, but there's plenty of cool, um, videos on YouTube explaining it, uh, with some fancy animation. So I would just check it out there.
0: Alrighty. righty. Now you talked to me about this a little bit. Why does the, uh, you, you did explain this is for the drone team, right?
1: Yeah. So this is for the drone. The it has to avoid obstacles getting from a point, one point to another
0: yeah and so you explained to me but maybe explain to the listeners why the drone needs to decide this for the competition rather than you just telling it what to do ahead of time
1: so it's completely autonomous so basically at the we have um i think the competition lasts about 40 minutes with half an hour um of that time being in the air and we have to go and do a bunch of different things things within the competition one of the things dropping off a payload uh doing some aerial mapping stuff like that but all the time doing this autonomously meaning no there's no human pilot on the ground controlling this like you're like a dji drone or anything it's not like that um it's all flown by the computer and it just has to make these decisions on its own avoiding obstacles while it goes and does other things how quick is it at deciding the shortest path That is a good question, because you would think computers are really, really fast, right? Well, depending on the complexity of your algorithm, uh, it can be really slow to generate a good path. And this is why, um, like when you're interviewing at um, tech companies, they want to see how fast you can make a solution work. Um, And that goes into time complexity, which is a whole nother area. My algorithm, my first implementation, I think it was um, for the scenario I ran it on, took 84 seconds to generate an optimal path, which is just way too slow. Because we have to be making these decisions in the air while we're under a time constraint. Um, It was super unoptimized, though. And I made a whole bunch of optimizations to it. And the current time is we're generating... um, Successful paths in under two seconds, which Mm. is a massive improvement. Um, Yeah, that's still, though, when you think about computers being, um, you know, we think about computers being like really fast today. And like if you like, you know, click to open your web browser or something or just like do something on your computer, it's like almost instantaneous. So even two seconds, you know, almost seems slow. But for the algorithm, I think it's uh, pretty solid.
0: Good. I was just kind of thinking, compared to a human, how quick is that? And two seconds isn't bad. Like, if you were to look at a map and then try to figure it out yourself, just by, you know, visually.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's It's pretty good. So you said yeah, the I obstacles
0: would... that it has to avoid are just, are they just theoretical? Or do they actually they are put out, just... like, in, inflatable pylons or
1: something? It would be cool if they put out pylons. That would be actually really awesome. But no, how they're just you... theoretical. They're just theoretical. How do you
0: know if you have run into one?
1: That's a good question. And I'm assuming. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Uh, Yeah, escorted down fighter jets and all or something. That's a good question. I'm assuming we're going to be. The path of the drone in 3D space is going to be tracked basically the entire time by, you know, the. The the competition. Um, you did
0: say there would be multiple drones in the air at a time, though, right?
1: Yeah. So really, all I've done is worked on the stationary obstacle avoidance. There is another kind of avoidance we need to handle, which is not running into another drone, uh, or or um that they they they're not just drones; they're all forms of flying vehicles. So there are like planes and stuff in this competition. Um, oh. you know, Small small, RC type. Uh um there's there's a couple ways that we could um theoretically do it um one is using a, a computer vision based approach which in my opinion is kind of sketchy um we're also supposed to i think have uh be uploading data about our position to like a um kind of like a master server i think so we might be able to retrieve other um flying UAVs positioned that way but um
0: oh, that, would that be uh I guess similar to ADS-B? Are you familiar with that?
1: No, but I'm I'm guessing yes, it is similar. I'm I don't recall exactly the... from like flight school stuff. ADS-B
0: is I I don't know a ton about it, but I think basically it's a new system that aircraft are getting so they can talk to each other and tell each other where their positions are
1: yeah i think it is actually similar to that okay i i don't know all the details because um, there are other people i think they're handling that stuff i'm pretty sure that's it's something like that i don't know the technical terms though okay Bam. interesting it, it's um, a, it's a pretty cool high high-tech competition so did they just give you a
0: 3d model of the course then for you to figure out where these
1: objects are in space uh they give you they give you all the information necessary to generate a 3d model if you wanted to so they give you they give you like the waypoints you need to fly complete with so they have like lat long and then an altitude for the obstacles they give you the center of the obstacle and then a radius and a height they're all just like cylinders basically yeah okay so yeah, and then um, we have ways to just visualize the data. So basically taking that data, they gave us some sample data just so we got an idea of what it would look like. Um, and we have ways where we can just pop it into a program and it like gives us like a little 3D rendering of what it would look like. So it's pretty cool.
0: Okay, nice. Uh, anything else interesting to tell us about?
1: Uh, I think that's pretty much it competition's in like a month or so so we're gearing up for that it's gonna be exciting
0: well we look forward to hearing how that goes um so as i said in the intro my time has been completely consumed by building my guitar so here we go again talking about my guitar build (laughs) um so we recorded that trash episode that we ended up discarding Mm -hmm. into the trash yes because it right. was too it was rough it was real rough uh, too rushed yeah. and it was boring uh, yeah. so i'll just recap what i talked about there um i got the fingerboard done the fretboard uh, uh-huh. which i made out of ebony which is a uh-huh. really hard beautiful wood and while i was sanding it i found that my hands were getting stained by the sawdust i guess oh, wow. it was coming off so fine that it was like getting stuck in the pores of my hand or something i don't know Interesting. So that was kind of cool i've never worked with ebony before. I cut the fret slots with the, by hand with a fret slotting saw, um, and I made that miter box that I think I told you about in a previous episode. I mm-hmm. made that out of three-quarter-inch plywood, um, and after uh, the third attempt, I was finally happy with. I made the first one. I was going to – I think my plan was to measure out where the frets were going to go. I don't remember exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I ended up buying a template. Basically, it's a a flat piece of metal, probably two inches wide, and it's probably 24 inches long. And Mm -hmm. it's got notches on each side for different scale lengths. Um, I chose the one that was
1: closest to my founder guitar so that the cording will be the same. Um, Is that just, what is, can I ask what the variation is between those scales?
0: um, I think it's just basically how far your saddle is from the nut. Okay, can so have it's a little bit of variation there.
1: So, but in the end, so it's just based on the rest of the guitar build, but in the end, they should all pretty much sound the same.
0: I think they'll all sound pretty similar. Um, the frets are just a little closer, a little farther apart is basically okay. the only difference. Um, I think I chose the 25.4. Three or something like that, twenty five point five, somewhere around there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was very close to Fender, but it's not exactly the same. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think everybody's just got a little bit of variation. I couldn't tell you exactly, but I think there's a couple of different scale lengths used. Okay. Very minute differences. Anyway, it's uh, like I said, it's about two inches wide by twenty four long. It's got notches along each edge, so I could do two different scales if I wanted to. Comes with a little tiny pin that goes in the bottom of the miter box, and then that flat piece of metal that the uh, template use double-sided tape to stick your fretboard to it and then uh, it just indexes off that pin so it'll always move it whatever set distance from the slot or from where the saw is Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: you clamp it down saw your slot move on to the next one and so on and so forth and I got all that done I didn't have any tear out they were nice clean crisp lines they're so they're they're square both up and down and side to side. That sounds very pleasing. It was it was a very satisfying process. Um, then I stuck it to a piece of wood by, with double sided tape and clamped it in a, that in a vice. And then I used a long sanding block with forty grit sandpaper to. I think I used planes first to kind of get a, give it a little bit of a radius, and then mm-hmm. I just used that long piece of uh, that long sanding block to give it the, the radius. I think we talked before about how the fretboard has a radius that kind of matches the radius of your finger when you're barring a chord, which means uh-huh. just basically pressing down all the strings at once. Um, and it gets flatter as it gets closer to the body of the guitar. I was going to buy some sanding blocks with the radiuses already built in. And then you just you know usually do three different, uh, different radiuses and blend them together down the fretboard. Uh, I decided to just do it by hand, just rough it in by hand, and it's it's working beautifully. I have no reason to buy sanding blocks. I think it's going to be a little bit more aggressive of a, a radius than what my fender has because I, I think it's comfortable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that's what I'm going to go with. Nice. And I've got the neck pretty well done. I need to reroute the... Uh, Tenon part of it that would slide in with the guitar body because i cut that by hand or with a free hand with a bandsaw Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: rough i intended to clean it up i think i'm going to try to just make a little jig for using the router on it i need to actually make a dedicated jig for cutting these because i do intend to build more guitars it's just it's a complicated jig and i was hoping to get away with not needing
1: one but i'm gonna need one
0: so i'm gonna build that in the future um
1: you have probably spent more time building jigs than actual guitar.
0: Yeah. I build a little <laughs> bit and then I build a special tool, and then I build a little bit and then I build another special tool. I've probably spent close to just about as much time building tools as I have building the guitar itself. <laughs> but it'll all pay off when I become a world famous guitar builder and I'm making yes. millions, millions yes. per guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's definitely gonna happen. Um oh, yeah. I haven't glued the fingerboard on yet because I need to do the fit-up with the, the with the guitar body before I do uh-huh. that. And with that hanging over, it's harder to get it to fit up properly, I guess. I need to uh, be able to run a piece of sandpaper between the neck where it connects to the body and the body to just sand it and give it a nice fit so basically Mm -hmm. you just lay down a piece of sandpaper you press your neck in and then you pull the sandpaper out and you can adjust your neck angle that way by just applying slight pressure one way or another and just get a, a really snug fit up okay so that's why i'm waiting on the fingerboard to do that i started doing the top and back and i guess we'll talk about the top first um I was going to go with the standard rosette. So the rosette is the design around the sound hole. Um, I think it's mostly, mostly there for decorative purposes, but I think it also gives some strength to the wood because it's, you know, it's a big hole right in the center of it. So it mm. kind of, kind of binds the wood together across the grain. Yeah. I um,
1: think about that.
0: the typical way it's done is it's strips of, you know, alternating light and dark wood that are very thin. Um, mm thickness of a couple pieces of paper um and they're all stacked together usually you know they'll wrap them around something round and glue them all together and make a nice thick stack it'll end up looking like like a roll of tape when you're done kind of and then you take that and cut it into thin slices to get multiple rosettes at a time Mm -hmm. i tried that route but i don't have any wood thin enough i don't have a good way of thinning the wood down i did try running it through the planer and that was kind of a disaster (laughs) i used some spray adhesive rather than super glue which would be the ideal way basically you make double-sided tape with masking tape and glue because it's Mm -hmm. thinner it won't compress i didn't have super glue at the time so i had to use what i had and it came loose and shredded my pieces in the planer also i think a a sander would be a better option a drum sander so i do want to build one Mm. of those eventually Um, so I decided to go with the solid, uh, wood rosette, which I kind of prefer the standard rosettes with the strips of wood. But if Mm. you really look at a solid wood rosette, they are beautiful. Um, my recommendation for this week, before I forget to say is, uh, Eric Schaefer guitars. He's got a great video on building a circle cutting jig for using your router to cut out uh, solid wood rosettes. I had to build a special attachment for my precision router base for my Dremel so that I could cut circles at whatever radius I want. Nice. That was a bit of trial and error. I originally just did indexing holes uh, that were 5 millimeters apart, but that did not give me the adjustability that I need Mm because... Basically, when you get your guitar top, you lay it out, and then you drill a hole exactly in the center. Your pin goes in there, which I'm using a number eight nail just because they're common, which is great because I've already lost several of them. So I just had to keep cutting the heads off of new nails, and <laughs> eventually I'll start finding all the ones I've lost. <laughs> um,
1: That's what so think. I just made
0: that. It's basically just a piece of plexiglass that screws onto the bottom of the router base, and then there's a hole for the, p- the pin to go through mm-hmm. so that it can rotate around that. So you carve out your channels in the guitar. Uh, you usually, do a couple of passes to get to depth. Uh, I think generally two thirds to seventy-five percent, somewhere in there, three quarters okay. um, is about how deep you go. And you got to remember the the top is like two and a half, three millimeters thick. Um, mm-hmm. Get it cut to depth, and then you inlay your rosette. So for a solid wood. You use a special jig. Um, Basically, it's a circle divided into, in this case, 12 sections. I also plan to be able to use it for eight. Um, It's a... I actually built one. It's a flat piece of wood with a piece of plastic on the top of it just to give it a nice, flat, smooth surface. Uh And then there's a disk of plexiglass in the middle that's held down with three socket head screws that can they're countersunk so they can fit in with uh, in the plastic so that they're f- completely flat across.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then there's a, that indexing hole or pin, a hole for the indexing pin right in the center that you can uh, mount your router base to. So you get your wood thickness you want it evenly thicknessed about three three millimeters thick mm-hmm. um and then you use uh I made a little clamp on the side that is made of plexiglass it's cut into a wedge shape and it's about a twelfth of a twelfth of a circle. I just went on to uh i think Excel and created a pie chart and printed that off and then I used that nice. to. Um, I I used it or I I made one with 12 segments and one with eight segments. So that's how I got this rather than trying to sit down with a compass and mark everything out. (laughs) I was was wondering, (laughs) much quicker to just do it this way. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to double check everything. It just printed out correctly. So I made that wedge that represents a section of that circle. So then you just take your fret saw and you cut wedges of wood and you clamp them under the center piece of plastic with those three screws, and as you join them together, you just use a little bit of super glue between them, and that'll hold them. Um, it you, you got to use the real thin stuff, and the stuff is really thin; it's like thinner than water, uh, viscosity-wise. That's wise. weird
1: to think about. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so that's how you hold your pieces together, and you make your complete circle, and then you put your circle cutting attachment on your router and route out the outer diameter of it, which needs to be the same size as the channels you've cut in your guitar body top. Mm -hmm. And then once you've gone all the way through there, then you cut and cut out your inner uh, circle Mm -hmm. and then it will not fit properly with your guitar (laughs) body. as I found out Um, there's a little bit of free play in my setup, so it, it didn't turn out as nicely as I'd hoped but that's okay. I, uh, I got it to work. Um, I used to separate each little segment. I used a very thin strip of ebony. Um,
1: really? I did not notice that in the uh, picture.
0: We oh, will see. I will show you on the camera here in just a little bit. Um, yeah, that, that thin strip of ebony really adds a lot to it. Cause it makes it look like there's so much more precision work going into it. Um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. These were segments that turned out or that segments that I got out of the planer that were thick enough, but they were kind of too short to use for binding and purfling like I wanted. So I'm just, I just used them in the rosette and -hmm. then I got some pieces that uh, went around the outer radius or circumference, I should say, of the uh, rosette that I made and then one to go on the inside and that just tightened it up inside the, uh, the slot that I'd cut in the body top. And then super glue all that in place. Any holes that are left, you uh, take a piece of ebony and run it on a piece of sandpaper and collect the dust. And then <laughs> you just kind of work it down into those little holes and then fill them up with super glue, and it patches them like magic. Nice. It's so good. And then I just used a plane to plane it down to the thickness of the guitar body top. And then I used uh, just a ram- random orbit sander to sand everything down to the same level. And it is gorgeous, my friend. I used... Uh, some cherry burl Uh, if you're not familiar with burls they're those lumps that you sometimes get in trees and the grain inside is really swirly and pretty
1: they look like tree cancer
0: yeah pretty much (laughs) um check out steve mold on youtube he did a video about i i think they're he calls them gmos genetically modified organisms because it's something that gets into the tree that modifies its
1: how interesting!
0: and makes it grow weird i
1: think i will have to check that out
0: yeah check out his video because he'll do a better job of explaining it than i did but anyway they're often used for decorative wood pieces because they've got really pretty grain because they're all swirly mm-hmm. so let me grab my guitar top here and show you on camera
1: oh wow oh it looks so good Oh,
0: I'm trying to like show you and see what I'm showing you, cause uh, I'm blocking the camera with the body here. Let me move it over.
1: Well, just look through the sound hole, man. I tried. Wow. So
0: yeah, so I basically—it's
1: so beautiful. I wish I... the audience could see what I'm seeing right now.
0: Yeah, if uh, if the producer of this show was uh, could be bothered, he would put some photos of this on
1: the. In the show oh, notes or something. Man, but, uh... it just looks amazing. Even <laughs> in the terrible webcam quality.
0: Uh-huh. Like,
1: wow. That is so, so pretty.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um I'm the producer of the show, by the way, so that's why I'm making fun of myself because I, I can't be bothered to put photos in the <laughs> show notes. Um I cut them on the bandsaw. And I bookmatched them just like a guitar top would be. So you slice it, and then you fold the two halves apart so they're almost mirror images of each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I cut those into wedges so they they fit together, and then each one is separated by that thin piece of ebony.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I just went around in a circle, and it's just cherry burl all the way around. It's cherry burl that grew on my parents' property. All the other wood is stuff that I've bought, so it's really cool to have this special piece of home
1: that is really nice i the-
0: also used um scrapers get um with card scrapers we've talked about them in a previous episode to mm-hmm. kind of thin down the wood which is really nice for those glue joints that are uneven and yeah. getting the wood finished and down to an almost final thickness where you don't want to use a plane because you're afraid of gouging so mm-hmm I uh, used a plane to kind of get it close, and then card scrapers, and then a sander. So,
1: The ebony uh, between the, the, the tiny ebony strips between each segment, I didn't realize that's what that was in the picture mm. you had originally sent. I guess I had thought that I was just seeing a distinct line where the cuts were. Yeah. But now that I, I'm realizing that's what it is, it really makes it pop. It's uh-huh. a really good addition.
0: And if you don't know how it's done, it looks like somebody was there with just a tiny, like a little uh, tweezers, (laughs) just setting these tiny pieces of wood inlaying this thing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, once you know the magic behind the scenes, it's a little less impressive, but it still looks really cool. Mm -hmm. So that's my top. And then um, my back here I've been working on. So the back is, so the top is uh, spruce. I don't remember if it's Sitka okay. spruce or what it is. Um, and then the back is rosewood.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I did another inlay back here oh. where I have bird's eye oh, maple. Wow. Oh and
1: man, that looks so pretty.
0: I did an inlay of it's a it's a wedge. It's a little wider at the top and it gets thinner as it goes down. Two reasons. One, I think that just looks cooler than mm-hmm. just like a, a flat flat uh straight back strap yeah um and it's i would say a little bit well maybe a little bit easier to fit up uh, basically i just clamped this down to the workbench with a straight piece of wood as my guide and then i just ran my little router along it to get a nice straight edge
1: mm-hmm.
0: cleaned out the middle that was a little bit nerve-wracking because i did that by hand and i was always afraid it was going to catch and run through the side of the wood and gouge it out but yeah. thankfully not
1: i yeah, found not you want to cut scary.
0: across the grain because you don't want long strips of wood that you're trying to cut with the grain because they end up tearing through because you're, you're doing about the yeah. same depth. You got a millimeter to a millimeter and a half of wood at the bottom. It's very thin. I actually went through in a couple of spots. I can show you the patch I did. Really? Um, yeah. It's it'll it's. Seeing it on uh, camera won't do it justice, but um it tore through in a couple of spots. you won't really be able to see it in the finished product, but I ended up just filling those with um and it's on the inside of the guitar anyway, so no mm-hmm. big deal
1: and that it looked like that was above the sound hole too, right, yep. yeah, yep,
0: close to the neck um I just filled it in with uh, rosewood sawdust or sandpaper sawdust i you know just took a little piece of rosewood and sanded it, filled in mm-hmm. the holes, and then filled that with super glue, let it dry. I don't quite understand super glue, but something about when it gets in with something that's got a lot of surface area, it hardens quickly. So like a powder, it'll harden quickly. Um, the old trick is baking soda on super glue, or I think cinnamon is something else people recommend. It's just such a fine powder. It'll harden real quickly. Interesting. If you just leave it, it just takes a while to cure, but some pieces I... I can't figure out what the differences are. Some, like, hard things, uh, when you press them together and hold them, it'll, it'll harden right up. Um, my fingers, I, you know, my fingers got glued to stuff while I was working. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's really not that big of a deal. It, it peels right off. But anyway, when I was trying to glue the wood together, it's a good thing it's held under that clamp uh, for the rosette because you can push them together, and then they'll come right back apart. you got to actually, like, hit them with activator or just let them sit for a while to harden up. But when I poured it into this powder, it I could I could actually see some sort of steam or vapors rising off of the uh, Whoa. glue joint. It was kind of freaky.
1: Um, so is it is it based on like the porosity of or or porousness, whatever the word yeah, is? Yeah, I the material? don't
0: know on that because it. I, From my observations, it doesn't seem to be consistent.
1: Huh. How interesting. There must be other factors at play.
0: I've seen some people say, you know, if you're gluing up a wood piece and you don't want it to move around, um, put some super glue in, you know, a couple dots of super glue, and then put the wood glue around it. And then you can clamp it it together, and the super glue will hold it while the wood glue sets. I don't know how that's supposed to work. I was doing a little research, and it says something about it needing moisture to cure, which doesn't make any sense to me at all, but...
1: How long is it? Is it supposed to cure, like on average? A mm,
0: couple minutes, I think. Okay. I did buy some spray-on activator, and that stuff works like instantly.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: <laughs> it it seems to work best if you spray it on one half, and then you put the super glue on the other half, and then you press them together, and it hardens up right away. Makes sense. But if you just spray it on a joint, the super glue will start to bubble and like almost foam, and it forms into like this hard, crusty foam on the outside that you got to scrape away.
1: <laughs> Interesting.
0: Uh, and there's all kinds of debates on whether or not you should or shouldn't use activator, whether the joint is stronger with or without it. And uh, I'm not getting into those debates. I just, I've used <laughs> it and it works fine for what yeah. I'm doing. So, yeah, that's the back strip. The, so it's it's um, rosewood on the outsides. Uh, you know, the the whole back piece is rosewood. Uh-huh. And then the back strip is bird's eye maple, which is really beautiful. wood. It's got a lot of tiny little swirlies in it and it just yeah. looks beautiful looks like little tiny
1: bird's eyes it does i was noticing that it looks kind of speckled almost
0: yeah uh, hence the name <laughs> um so yeah that runs the entire length of the back and then i put a strip of ebony on each side which you really can't see unless you look really close but i think it adds just a, a nice little very subtle touch yeah that just makes it it gives it that little extra look of care Mm -hmm. And then I did the same thing where there was, you know, there was a couple of little gaps. I just uh, put some ebony sawdust in there and uh, used a super glue and then scrapers to clean it up. And voila, it looks beautiful. Um, And then I finally got around to bracing the uh, inside. I see that. So I have some radiusing dishes. I think I've talked about those before. Mm -hmm. One's a 15-foot radius and one's a 40-foot radius. They're just round pieces of wood with a dish cut into them by a CNC router. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was like 160 bucks for the pair of them, but hopefully I'll build lots of guitars and it'll make it worth it. Um, Because the the top of the guitar and the back of the guitar have a radius on them to add strength, and so the bracing needs needs to have that radius sanded into it, and then you basically glue it up in the dish so that it ends up with that radius, and this does have a radius to it. And we've talked about uh, the th- kind of
1: theory of. Oh yeah, I can see it now.
0: Making the braces, most of them are made of spruce. Mm-hmm. Um, I made mine with a sandwich of spruce and rosewood. So spruce on the outsides, was rosewood in the center. Um, it's may or may not actually be effective. But the McPherson guitars, uh, they're some of the nicest guitars in the world, they do a sandwich like that where they've got lighter wood on the outside and then a little little heavier but much stiffer wood in the middle. Mm-hmm. So it gives it a lot of extra rigidity with not a ton of extra weight. And I, I just think it looks really cool.
1: It does look cool. Yeah.
0: So uh, that's what I did. I uh, sanded in those radiuses, and then I used what's called a go-bar deck to glue everything down. Okay. So you have uh, fiberglass rods. That you use for clamping force. You put this in the radiusing dish and then there's some surface above it, uh, two or three feet above, and then you use those long rods to apply downward pressure. So you just bend, you know, you bend the rod and that just pushes straight down. Uh So that's how you can clamp out far out in the middle of somewhere. If you don't have, you know, you don't have to have a clamp that reaches from the bottom of the table all the way around out the edge and then to the center.
1: Interesting.
0: So I uh, so yeah that for for large flat pieces that works great, and I think that's how I'm going to uh-huh. attach the back and sides together and the top and sides as well. Okay. Um, I just got some of those fiberglass marker rods that you can get for like your driveway with the reflectors on. Mm-hmm. You can buy a go bar deck, but it's like a couple hundred dollars and it's <laughs> like a, a metal frame thing. I just used my workbench and then I put a shelf above it, about two feet above. A little mishap I ran into is I'd put some weights up there and I just put two little finishing nails in to hold the board down so that it wouldn't, oh, no. wouldn't slide around. And apparently the weight was not nearly enough. And so it was mostly just holding on by the pressure from the nails. And all of a sudden the nail let loose. One of the nails went loose <laughs> and all the rods, I was like three quarters of the way done. All the rods went flying. Oh no. So I've got probably close to a hundred pounds up, up there now. And, uh, it worked the second time. I just took some little blocks of wood and used double-sided tape to uh, make little barriers so that the uh, braces didn't try to walk off their marks uh, while they were gluing up, you know, because you got all that okay. pressure. If there's any sideways pressure, which there would be because right. it's got a radius to it, it's not just a square, square glue up, uh, they're going to try to slide around
1: because uh-huh. that glue acts
0: like a lubricant. Um, the, the ideal thing here is you don't want any glue squeeze out, or if there is any, you want to clean it up right away. Usually you kind of let it gel up a little bit and then you can go through and pick it all out. I got most of it. I'll, I'll have to be more careful about it next time. Even probably spread a thinner layer of glue, um, and get to it a little quicker. Cause I had to go through with hand chisels and kind of chisel off all the extra glue. And then I went through with card scrapers and cleaned it up. And then, um, I went through and wet the whole thing down with a foam brush to raise the grain, get the wet grain to swell up and anything, you know, any wood that's compressed will swell up then on the surface. And then you sand it back down and you can do that a couple of times until your wood is completely smooth and the grain doesn't raise anymore. That way you don't get it raising when it gets wet from the finish. Mm-hmm. Now all the interior components are not going to be finished, but the exterior will be. Um, So I basically raised the grain, and I'm sanding it down to 220. Any bare wood pieces on the guitar are going to be 220, and then any finished pieces that have varnish or shellac or whatever I end up using, Mm -hmm. um, I'm probably sanding to four, maybe 600 grit. So that's where I'm at right now.
1: Nice. Yeah. By by the way, I recall you now. Uh, sending me the photo of the guitar back under the, um, go bar deck you had set up. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize exactly what that was. Do those, yeah. did the fiberglass rods. Sorry. Uh, right.
0: let me give you a quick tap tone here, which you can kind of hear how the
1: wood rings. Uh, it's not coming through very well. Okay.
0: Well, I'm sure in the recording you'll be able to hear it. Um. I'm no expert, but um, I'm trying to at least familiarize myself with what the wood sounds like. Uh And then I can correlate that to how the guitar sounds later and hopefully train my ears Mm. to know what sounds right. There you go. Um, There's a process called voicing the guitar where you basically tap on it and hear the tones and you shave a little bit off of the braces. and If you know what you're listening for, you can get it to sound just right. Uh, Usually that's done with just the top of the guitar. So I need to study up on that. I haven't done that yet. I mean, uh, hopefully my next couple of days off here, I'm going to work on bracing the top, which is far more complex. The braces on the backs just go across in like, like ladder rungs, basically, uh-huh. whereas the top, it's got an X-brace uh, that crosses just below the sound hole.
1: Uh-huh. And there's
0: a couple of braces that go across the top and then a couple of smaller braces near the bottom and the lower bout, which is the, the round area, uh-huh. and then a couple of finger braces as well. And then some people like cheap guitars that you, you know, were mass produced. will just have straight rods or straight braces. Um, some people cut little, for lack of a better word, arches into them to take away a lot of unnecessary wood, basically the way a bridge is built. So it Uh still gives you the strength, but it's got a lot less wood to it. And then that's kind of where the voicing comes in. Um, They basically start off as rectangular pieces, and then you round them so they're more bullet-shaped, I guess, near the top, more pointy. Um, And then you can cut those arches in. And you want those to line up with nodes of where it's vibrating, because we talked about this before. You kind of get a standing wave in the wood,
1: Uh and
0: where those node points are, is where your braces can go, because that's that's where it's not going to interfere with the vibrations. Designing guitars is it's yeah, guitar design is crazy because you want it, you want strength, but you also want it to vibrate. Anything else in engineering, basically, you want it to be strong and not vibrate. Guitars you want it to be strong and except vibrate. bridges. Well, you you don't want bridges vibrating.
1: You want them. You want some amount of sway in them. See latest Tom Scott video. <laughs>
0: um. I've seen many videos on bridge failure.
1: You want you want some amount of, of movement because otherwise, if you build them too stiff, then they would break. Mm. Same thing with, like... Um, don't, like, skyscrapers, like, move a little bit?
0: Well, yeah, I think they need to, to be able to, like, change with the environment, so to speak, and I suppose ve- vehicles and foot traffic would be part of the environment. But you don't want it to... Be where it ends up, uh, setting up. What's that called when it gets um, <laughs>
1: vibrating out of control?
0: Yeah, when it get, has, ends up with like a feedback loop of it's vibration something like and that, it ends up vibrating itself apart.
1: Yeah, I've seen some crazy videos.
0: Oh man, I wish I could remember what it's called because you, you sound yeah. super smart when you can bring up the term. There's there's called, some special
1: think. term for it. I know, I know what you're talking. Yeah. About.
0: Anyway, but yeah, you still don't you don't want your bridge to vibrate though.
1: No. You not not offensive. vibrates it vibrates like a word describing like a really high frequency in my opinion or uh yeah. like a high yeah. Yeah. Okay, anyway, yeah. random, sorry. We can come back out of that rabbit hole. I had yeah. a question. So,
0: for, yeah, that's all I had to say. So, if you got questions, go I for do
1: it. have a question. When you talked about shaving the um the sorry, what are they called again? Um, the, braces. the braces. Um is that done before Like, just purely based on tapping each, the front and the back independently before, like, gluing it up to make the final guitar. Because once it's glued, you you wouldn't take it apart, would you?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it's called voicing the guitar. And, yeah, you basically just tap on it, shave off a little bit of wood, tap on it, shave off a little bit of wood. And you just hear what it sounds like just from the tap, tap tones.
1: And does the tap tones give you a good, I guess they must, give you a good representation of what it will sound like once it's if all If you together? know what you're
0: listening for, <laughs> which I do not. So I'm going to have to watch some videos and learn how what I'm listening for, where to tap it exactly. I've I Ever since I decided to start building a guitar, I've gotten in the habit of whenever I pick up a new guitar, I tap it in a couple of different places on the back the each side of the upper bout, each side of the lower bout kind of in the middle and just kind of listen for what it sounds like. Uh-huh. And then I do the same thing on the front for I every I bet people group. think you're an absolute probe by you doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Most people, I explain to them what I'm doing so they don't think I'm some kind of lunatic. <laughs> um, so I've started to kind of hopefully train my ear there. Uh-huh. I still couldn't tell you just by listening to that, what the guitar is going to sound like, but I'm trying to build that memory bank. Uh-huh. Um, Back in the early days of building guitar, it's it's actually interesting. Guitars are not as old as you'd think. Uh, I think back in the early 1900s is kind of when, boy, people are going to get mad at me if I get this wrong. I think it was Martin that kind of introduced the guitar as we know it today okay. in the U.S. It's like a, it's like a U.S. thing. Really? was uh, where guitars started, I guess, yeah. And then I think Martin kind of mass-produced them and found a design that worked, um apparently during the world wars there were some guitars that got turned out that weren't the greatest because there weren't shortages in workers and there weren't the greatest workers working on them. Mm-hmm. Um at least that's what I understand from watching one video about repairing a uh, an older guitar from war era is the guy was talking about how it's uh, a bit out of tune. Because the intonation wasn't done correctly, which is a whole other thing we can talk about when I get to that point. Um, oh, so what I was saying is in the early days of guitar building, because obviously, you know, there's been stringed instruments forever, and right. they've just kind of evolved um, over the years. And guitars are, as we know them today, the Dreadnought guitar is you know a little over 100 years old Mm -hmm. um so in the early days what they used to do is they would take a little thumb planes i don't remember if i showed you mine um that's what i'm that's what you use to shave the wood down okay they're just tiny little planes maybe inch and a half two inches long with a tiny little blade okay and that's what i've actually been using on the sides of my guitar actually i should talk about that i had the radiusing dishes i told you about coated them with sandpaper my sides are glued together i told you about that i think uh, mm-hmm. You've got the the two blocks holding the ends. Yep. And then so I've just been working on radiusing that now in the sanding dish by just turning it back and forth, back and forth. And then I've just, you know, I'll mark it with chalk, and I'll sand it mm-hmm. and see where the high spots are, and then use a thumb plane to plane down that wood just to remove a lot more wood quickly. And then I'll put it back on the sa- you know, mark it with chalk again, sand it again, and I've got it pretty well shaped. Next, i got to work on the curved lining.
1: Okay. And that's, and that's the outer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. strip.
0: So the curved lining is what goes inside the guitar. It gives you extra oh, that's surface right. between the back and the sides.
1: I was con- the, mixing that up with the, the decorative. The binding. Binding. binding and purfling. Right. Okay.
0: Okay. Sorry. Um, so they did what I think they would call call it scalloping. Where they would string up a guitar, see how it plays, and then they would go in and they'd start shaving off you know they'd reach through the sound hole and with the thumb mm. plane and start shaving off wood, and then they'd oh. string it back up again and play it and then they did that over and over and over until they got what sounded nice, uh-huh. and then you know they eventually would take the top off and see what it looks like, so then they could just then start building that brace design into their guitars ahead of time
1: that that's cool,
0: yeah, so now I think I'm done that's about all I got to say about guitars
1: as a computer scientist who writes a lot of code to solve my problems for me it's amazing to think about people making guitars and other musical instruments um and and you know solving the problem of like getting the perfect uh you know structural pattern to yeah. get the vibrations cracked when now today i just think about oh you could just like do some kind of analysis in a program and see some kind of highlights indicating, you know, the optimal. But yeah, yeah and you it was all done by think, hand back then. You
0: would think, well, yeah, I mean, you would think nowadays they would run that stuff through computers and have an exact answer on what brace pattern is the best. But companies are still coming up with new bracing patterns. It's crazy. Really?
1: Huh. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know anything about it. I'm just like imagining that as being a possibility, but... That's Plus, cool.
0: Every piece of wood is a little bit different and True. Mm, yeah. Um every species of wood is different as well, so
1: Yeah, I guess I would Tines. imagine, I mean, for the really premium guita- premium guitars, I guess they're all built custom, you know, to each to to work best with each, you know, piece of wood and everything.
0: I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> Anybody out there, uh, has access to a professional, like a really nice guitar factory,
1: um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) hook me up. I'd love to go on a tour.
1: Have you ever, have you ever been on a guitar factory tour?
0: No, I live within reasonable driving distance from the McPherson guitar factory. We tried to get in touch with them to set up a tour and they said they don't do tours anymore because there was too much demand and they weren't getting any work done. So now... (laughs) They will give you a tour if you buy a guitar, and I think they're somewhere in the seven thousand dollars range. So, oh my
1: goodness! <laughs> okay, well, there if anyone would like to there. donate, yeah,
0: go to our Patreon. <laughs> um, no, they, we'll they take do you some
1: on the s- tour that you bought.
0: <laughs> yeah, they uh, we'll, we'll do a live podcast from the uh, factory. Yeah. there are some videos out there about the McPherson Factory, though, if you mm. want to look at it. Though, they're, they're all their guitars are hand built. Um, I think the braces and stuff are cut out on CNC machines, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I think everything is fit together and cut besides the braces. I think just what everything else is cut and cleaned up by hand. So there's some really beautiful guitars
1: as well. So, and now I understand the price tag.
0: Yep. And the guy, Matt McPherson, I think was talking about how, you know, if they've got a, a small crack in a piece of wood. They could just glue it together and you would never know it's there, but uh, that's not the kind of guitars they're building. So they will, you know, they won't use it for its intended purpose and they'll just use a solid piece of wood. I'm sure they cut it up as, you know, for scraps to make smaller pieces, but, uh, yep. Uh, any other guitar place, just glue it up and send it out.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. So any other questions before we wrap up?
1: Uh, not that I can think of. Well, okay. What what's next? From here. In
0: the guitar build? Yeah. Uh so I gotta finish cleaning up the mortise for the neck. I gotta finish radiating radiusing the uh sides on the in the radiusing dish. Mm-hmm. And then I have to brace the top still. Right. That's kinda my next couple of steps. There's still a ton more stuff I gotta do, but those are what I'm focusing on next.
1: Nice. Well, I can't wait to hear about more updates. It's very, so yeah, tune very cool in to follow. T-
0: tune in next time to hear more guitar building stuff that probably won't line up with anything I just said I was about to do.
1: On the Enthusiastic Guitar Building Podcast.
0: Yes. Name change coming soon. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for slogging through another episode about guitar building with us. And... Hopefully, I'll get onto something new and interesting soon. I haven't even really been up flying much this year. I've been up like three times. So, wow, is it warming up out there? A little bit. Man. Uh, it was in the sixties. Dude, day, it's it's, it's going like to be in like the eighties
1: and nineties next week. You need to you need to just move south, okay?
0: Yep, I think so.
1: Send right, us an email <laughs> at enthusiasticwitter at gmail dot com, and if you do, Cody will send you his pictures of his rosette. How about that? Oh, I could do that.
0: Yeah, send us an email. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see it. <laughs> I'll send you a picture of the rosette. <laughs> Alright. Um, that's all I got. Thanks for listening. And
1: we'll talk to you later. Bye.